0: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com.
1: No purchase necessary. BDW. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions.
0: 18 plus. Your love will always fight to trust, to hope, and to protect. Your perfect love will always Sound
1: fear. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Ohio Mysteries. You're listening to a clip of a gate. By Benjamin Marshall. This singer songwriter from Columbus is our featured Ohio musical artist tonight. So hang out with us to the end of the podcast. We'll tell you more about him and let you listen to that entire song. But right now, let's throw another log on the fire campers. Let's dig up a new Ohio mystery. I'm your co host, Steve Yoder, and with us is our award winning journalist. Paula Schleiss, who spent 30 years telling these kinds of stories for the Acker Beacon Journal.
2: Hi, everybody. Okay, Steve, who built America's first gasoline-powered car?
1: Oh, that's easy. Henry Ford.
2: Ah, uh, you're wrong. Though you're probably not alone in thinking that. Henry Ford is pretty much synonymous with automobile pioneering, and for good reason. But he wasn't the first. Thomas Edison. <laughs> well... You know, if he wanted to, he probably could have. But no, Edison never dabbled in cars.
1: All right, well, then I give up. I'm going to bet whoever he was, he came from Ohio.
2: Uh, yeah, that's a pretty good educated guess.
1: Yeah, the fact that we're talking about this, well, that gives it away.
2: Well, the topic of who invented America's first car, it was fraught with controversy. The debate was launched in earnest right about 1920, when an early automobile pioneer from Massachusetts became livid, that the Smithsonian Institution was crediting someone else for the invention. The world's largest and most famous museum had put on display at its Washington, D.C. facility, an 1894 car from Elwood Haynes. He was from Indiana and had donated it to them. And the display promoted the car as the first of its kind. So that guy from Massachusetts, Charles Duryea, promptly pulled out from storage a car he had built a full year earlier in 1893. Charles and his brother, Frank Duryea, would spend the rest of their lives promoting their automobile as the first horseless carriage in the United States. The Duryea's and Elwood Haynes were both wrong. In the years that followed, the Smithsonian put a research team to the question, collected documents, collected photographs, collected testimonials, and in the end, it cast its vote that America's first car wasn't built in Massachusetts or Indiana, but rather in Ohio, specifically in a little village in Van Wert County called Ohio City, and it was a full two years before the Duriers took their auto out for a spin, three years before Elwood Haynes' invention, and five years before Henry Ford made his first effort. Its creator was a prolific inventor and tinkerer named John William Lambert, a man who cared so little about getting the credit, his feet wouldn't be acknowledged for decades. But, there is incontrovertible proof of what he achieved. So let's move back from 1920 and into the late 1800s and meet this incredible Buckeye. John Lambert was born in 1860. That was the year before the Civil War, and Ohio didn't really officially keep records of births. But the family Bible recorded it as having taken place after a heavy snowfall that January the twenty-ninth in the village of Mechanicsburg, that's in Champaign County, a couple of counties west of Columbus. He was the third of ten children, born to Anna and George Lambert, farmers who had come from Pennsylvania, and our farm boy is going to grow into a bright, energetic, and inquisitive six foot two inch dynamo who saw no obstacles, only solutions. John showed his ingenuity at an early age when he invented the first automatic corn planter, a device that sort of resembled a crutch and allowed the farmer to poke a hole in the soil, deliver the seeds, and cover them up without the back-breaking work of continually bending. He was only 16 years old when he made and sold hundreds of these devices from his hometown. His dad really encouraged his son's curious spirit. When young John heard about new engines that used gasoline instead of steam, his father took him to a tannery to see one at work. But when they arrived, They found the building had burned down the night before. Still, John was so curious about this odd engine, he sorted through the still warm ashes to find it and then examined its parts to figure out how it worked. In 1885, when John was 25, his entire family moved to Union City. That's in Dark County, right along the Indiana border. And there, John along with his dad as his partner, opened the J.W. Lambert and Company to make and sell agricultural implements. A couple of years after that, John moved again to Ohio City, a little further north in Van Wert County, but still close to the state line. Actually, at the time he moved there, it was called Enterprise. It was renamed Ohio City later. John helped develop the town. He operated a farm equipment store, a lumber yard, and a grain elevator business. He also invested in commercial real estate, built the town's opera house, and the village hall and the police department. And he started his family. He married Mary Kelly, and they went on to have two children. They were toddlers when it was time for John to make his mark in American history. You see, in John's spare time, hard to believe he had any, he loved fooling around with his top-secret project. He had long been tinkering with gas-powered engines. He was inspired by the news out of Europe, where Carl Benz received a patent in 1886 for a vehicle powered by a gas engine. It was the birth of the automobile. But nobody in America had one. Not yet. In 1890, Lambert introduced himself to a Cleveland engineer named John Hicks, who was working on a stationary gasoline engine. Lambert agreed to help finance it. By the time Hicks was done creating a three-cylinder engine, Lambert had sunk $3,300, or the equivalent of $99,000, into it. And it still wasn't what he wanted. There were too many crankshaft failures, which he attributed to the stress caused by having three cylinders. He asked for specific modifications. But when those efforts came about too slowly, Lambert decided to just do it himself. He ordered the engine shipped to Ohio City, and in January of 1891, he finished with his work of turning it into a one-cylinder working engine. He also built a special carburetor and a system of drives. Then he attached it all to a three-wheeled carriage that he designed and built. His intention with three wheels was understandable. Most of the roads back then were dirt, or quite often mud, featuring three ruts, two that fit the span of carriages and wagons, and a center cavity worn down by the horse that pulled them. In Europe, Carl Benz's design used three wheels for the same reason. Lambert's vehicle looked more like a buggy than an auto. It even had a fringe on the top and was steered by a hand lever. John kept this work a secret, toiling away in the basement of the elevator business he operated. When it came time to test it, he drove it around his 80 foot long farm equipment showroom. When he needed more room, he would sneak it out late at night and conduct tests on the back roads outside Ohio City. He kept making adjustments till he was satisfied. It had two forward speeds, could reach 15 miles an hour, and had solid steel tires. In hindsight, The three-wheel design of the carriage was not a good idea. It was fine if you were going to stay in the pre-made road ruts, but if you wanted to make a turn, the vehicle would just as soon spill you out rather than successfully navigate out of the ruts. Still, John was ready to sell his auto. He prepared sales brochures in February of 1891, offering to make more buggies for $550 a pop. That's the equivalent of about $16,000 today. This was, after all, a luxury vehicle. And since he was mailing out promotional material, it was time for his buggy to make its first public appearance. The 30-year-old Lambert took it for a ride in broad daylight, the noise and smoke from it causing a crowd to gather. I don't know if it was his first public ride, but I found an account of a friend, C.A. Leeshoff, who joined him for a trip down the main street. Lambert ignored the cries of, get a horse, and gave many citizens a ride in his Wonder Wagon in the coming weeks. Fifteen-year-old James Yon would later recall seeing this strange metal contraption and wondering, where in heaven's name is the horse? James Swoveland was another young man in town excited about the car. He worked at the local drugstore and he would actually go on to a long career as the town's druggist. Lambert had taken a liking to the lad and used to let him into the workshop that nobody else was permitted to enter. He gave James many rides in the coughing and belching buggy. James Swoveland also earned his little place in history that summer of 1891 when he and Lambert became the first people in America to have a car accident. Those dirt roads had some natural obstacles in them, mainly stumps from trees that had been cut down to clear the path. Lambert had to maneuver around them. One day he hit a root coming from a stump, causing the buggy to smash into a hitching post. A group of men rushed to help lift the car off the post and back onto the road, and Lambert and Swoveland continued on their merry way. Today, Ohio City even has a sign marking the spot where that accident took place, downtown on West Carmean Street, near Liberty.
1: With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to, has anyone seen the bride and groom?
2: Walter Lewis, to photograph the car for a dollar and 50 cents a shot. And it's a good thing he did because before the year was out, the warehouse where the first Lambert automobile was stored was destroyed by fire, the car with it. Also destroyed was a four-wheeled vehicle that Lambert had been working on but had yet to road test. In a few decades, those sales brochures that he had sent out and the photographs that he had taken would become key evidence in the search for who was America's first. But Lambert's plans to sell the vehicles went up in smoke, just like his prototypes. There just wasn't a market for it, or as he'd later say, it was too early in the game. No matter Lambert abandoned his brief flirtation with becoming a car manufacturer and returned to his primary focus, the engine. His gasoline-powered engine was called the Buckeye, and it was selling like hotcakes. Other car dabblers soon took his place. Two years later, Charles and Frank Durier would build their first gasoline-powered car in Massachusetts, and a year after that, Elwood Haynes in Indiana would build his. Here's how little Lambert cared about being recognized as the first American to build a car. In 1895, after Elwood Haynes had finished testing his car along Pumpkin Vine Pike in Kokomo, Indiana, he decided to pay Lambert a visit. He had heard about that Ohio City car driving around three years earlier. Since Lambert wasn't marketing his car, Haynes wanted Lambert's blessing to promote his own car as America's first, and asked Lambert not to publicly object when he did so. And Lambert's response? Sure, go ahead. Lambert was far more interested in pursuing what came next than worrying about credit for what was past. Years later, Lambert's son, A.R. Lambert, told a reporter his father had no ego. He said, Father just wasn't that type of person. Not that there's anything wrong with someone trying to get the record straight, but the truth is, father didn't care who was credited with being the first. He built the auto for his own amusement, and that was what mattered. After several years of focusing on engines, Lambert got back into the car business. He eventually moved to Indiana and built operations there and in Ohio under the names Buckeye Manufacturing Company, Lambert Gas and Gasoline Engine Company, and the Union Automobile Company. Thousands of Lambert cars were made and sold up until World War I. By then, larger car makers were mass-producing them, and it was just too hard for the little guys remain competitive. The Lambert family stopped making cars and began making munitions for the military. When World War I was over, Lambert pursued other ideas that caught his attention, but he had truly made his mark in America's industrial revolution by then. He had more than 600 patents in his name. Lambert died in Anderson, Indiana in 1952, He lived long enough to receive the accolades he deserved, though he never, not once, sought them out. He even refused to enter the fray when the Smithsonian kicked off that heated debate in the 1920s when Charles Duryea claimed to be the first to build a gasoline-powered car. The Smithsonian collected documents, photographs, and testimonials. And no car maker could prove they had an earlier incarnation of a gas driven car than Lambert. Still, I found stories in the 1930s and 40s and 50s that always hedged, saying things like Lambert may have been the first or mm, probably was the first. Then, in 1960, the magazine Antique Automotive seemed to close the door on further discussion. It made its own definitive declaration on the matter, saying that after their research, there was no doubt John Lambert was the first. Now, could someone have been earlier than Lambert? It's possible. A trade magazine in 1895 called The Horseless Age noted there were an estimated 300 individuals and companies working on various styles of self-propelled vehicles. So, historians admit there could have been a gasoline car even older than Lambert's. One man, Henry Nadig, once testified in an unrelated patent trial that he built a gasoline engine with his brother in 1888 or 1889. He lived in Allentown, Pennsylvania, where he said he attached it to a car and fired it up in 1891 and drove it down 4th Street. But he never patented his vehicle. There were no records to prove it. And since Lambert had driven his car in January of that year, even if Natick had built his car in 1891, it likely took place after Lambert's own excursion down the streets of Ohio City. There is also a patent that was granted in September of 1889 to a Frank Huntington of San Francisco, but there's never been any evidence he actually built the car. And there was a report of a gasoline-powered car by Safania Reese of Plymouth, Pennsylvania, as early as 1884, but again, no documentation to prove it was ever built and successfully road-tested. To date, John Lambert's car is the oldest gasoline-powered car for which proof exists. Ohio City still celebrates this fact. Every year in July, they hold Lambert Days, a multi-day festival with activities that range from a parade and live music to fireworks and, of course, a car show. By the way, Lambert's great-granddaughter, Carol Jean Lambert, wrote a book about her ancestor's life several years ago. It's called Something New Under the Sun. I didn't get the chance to read it, but if this topic makes you want to learn more, that's a good place to start. Also, her website, caroljeanlambertbooks.com, has some of the evidence that was used by researchers to prove her great-grandpa was the first.
1: Well, I'm sold. They have his sales brochures, photographs, testimonials of people who wrote in it sounds pretty convincing to me.
2: You know, if you go on the Wikipedia page for Charles Durier, it still says he made the first gas-powered car. And I found YouTube videos about Durier calling himself the first. Clearly, Durier has modern-day fans who don't care about the evidence. Well, I think we
1: know that this is the way of all inventions, isn't it? I mean, I'd be surprised to hear that there wasn't a controversy so many patent wars from this period
2: very true and actually we're probably going to see more invention type stories coming up on our podcast in the near future
1: well i think that is a hint that's it for tonight listeners for photos news clippings and more on this and every episode hop on over to our website ohiomysteries.com
2: and that brings us to tonight's featured ohio musical artist Benjamin Marshall is a folk pop singer-songwriter from Columbus whose songs consist of a variety of different perspectives that apply to the current world we live in. He said his main ambition is to compose songs that not only are relatable, but communicate words often unspoken through everyday life. Benjamin first found his love for music at the age of 11 when he got his first electric guitar. After college. He found himself in an office job that paid the bills, but wasn't very fulfilling. So he went back to work writing music and sharing his gift to the world. You can find Benjamin on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And check out his website, www.benjaminmarshallmusic.com.
1: Well, let's have another listen to A Gate by Benjamin Marshall. And we'll see you here next week for another episode of Ohio Mysteries.
0: Love is patient, it'll wait until the end Love is kind, turn the whole world upside down Love doesn't envy, it'll build upon our walls Love isn't boasting through the rising or the fall Love isn't prideful, our ego's left behind. Love isn't spiteful, no dishonor on our mind. Love isn't selfish, it'll find a way to serve. Love with a purpose, it's slow to anger. Mm -hmm. Sound of fear. Oh. Oh. Love isn't tracking a record of our rounds. Love rejoices in truth where we belong. Love is the answer to our friends and enemies. Love is the reason, the reason to believe. Protect your perfect love.
3: Na, 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 oh Na, 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 oh Na, 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 no,